Hey, everyone. My name's Amy. I'm going to be um, reflecting on the readings today. It's possible to look at both the Old Testament and Gospel readings today as stories of resurrection, affirmation of God's power to give life to those who have died. We might look at these stories as a preview of coming attractions, the ways that the prophetic tradition and the life of Jesus affirmed God's power over life and death ahead of Jesus' resurrection. And that is where the stories end. Dry bones are covered in living flesh and given life by the breath of God. A man who was dead and buried for four days walks out of the tomb. The prophetic vision and the experience of Lazarus, in this prophetic vision and in the experience of Lazarus, were given a window into God's coming victory over death in the resurrections of Jesus. That is where these stories end. But that's not where the stories begin. The Ezekiel reading begins in a valley covered in dry, lifeless bones of people slain by those who conquered and oppressed them. God shows Ezekiel this vision and asks Ezekiel if these bones can live again. Ezekiel's response is usually translated something like, oh Lord, you know, or Lord God, only you can answer that. I wonder though about the tone of Ezekiel's response, the feeling behind these words. Perhaps his response was a pious affirmation that if God willed it, these bones would in fact live again. But I wonder if there might have been some other things there too. Maybe some annoyance at being shown such a bleak vision and asking and being asked such a nonsense question. I wonder if there was suspicion. Experience and common sense says obviously they can't live again, but why are you asking? Are you going to try and tell me that they can live? Perhaps there was even some sarcasm or anger. What, you're going to act now to give life to these bones when you were unable or unwilling to save them from death in the first place? But regardless of what Ezekiel might have been thinking and feeling when asked if the dry bones could live, the setting of the beginning of the story remains the same. It begins after all hope is gone. The gospel story begins with the news that Lazarus of Bethany, a dear friend of Jesus, has fallen ill. Certainly difficult news, but there still seems to be some hope that Lazarus might recover, especially if Jesus would hurry up and act to heal his friend. At first, Jesus seems to delay going to Bethany mostly because he just assumes the illness probably isn't that serious. Um, you know, maybe he has plenty of time to make the journey. Um, but then when Jesus decide, declares his intention to go to Bethany um, in Judea, the disciples balk at him because there are people in Judea who are trying to kill, them, kill him. So there's also this, you know, kind of sense that Jesus was having to make this choice between facing danger, facing danger to his person and to his friends to save this other friend and the difficult realities of the situation that Jesus is in. Um, you know, and so when he leaves, and th this wasn't in the text that, um, this, the, um, the paraphrase that, that Jenny read, but it was like his disciples conclude like, okay, well, we will go and die with him. And they're very dramatic because they're the disciples and that's what they do. Um, but, you know, there's the sense of this, you know, this, this situation where there's all of this kind of danger on every side. Um, so by the time 
Oh, so um, anyway, well, while Jesus was waiting, um, while they were waiting for Jesus, um, I wonder what Mary and Martha felt as they sit at their, sat at their brother's bedside. This is life drained away. Desperately wishing that Jesus would come because they'd seen Jesus's power to heal. Perhaps understanding the danger that Jesus might face were he to travel to Bethany. Perhaps deeply disappointed that Jesus, who had healed countless strangers, wouldn't hurry to save a beloved friend, even if it meant facing his adversaries. I wonder what they thought as Lazarus took his final breaths and Jesus still didn't arrive. We hear that both Martha and Mary believed that Jesus could have healed their brother. They both greet Jesus saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, Martha follows this by saying, yet even now I know that God will do anything that you ask. And we hear Jesus have this little discourse with Martha. You know, he assures her that Lazarus will live again and challenges her to affirm her faith that those who trust in Jesus will live even though they die. But we don't get that with Mary. Mary just states that her brother wouldn't have died if Jesus were there. She does not go on to echo her sister's affirmation that her brother will live again. And Jesus doesn't challenge her to declare her faith in that Jesus was the one that they'd been hoping for. The text says that he sees how upset Mary and the others, see how upset Mary is as well as the others who are present. And he immediately asks where the body of Lazarus was laid. The difference in his interaction with the two sisters seems noteworthy to me. Martha expresses her faith that Jesus could still help her brother. And Jesus seems to take this as a teaching moment, you know, asserting that he's the one who raises the dead to life. He's the resurrection and the life. And, you know, asking Martha if he believes, if she believes. But Mary is seems clearly, is clearly upset, and I think she sounds pretty accusatory, just saying, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But we don't hear Jesus offer Mary any teaching, and he doesn't act, ask her to confirm her continued faith in him. In the face of Mary's desolation, Jesus doesn't challenge her or ask her to trust him. He sees her pain, and he acts, asking where Lazarus is buried and going to the tomb. And there Jesus, like Ezekiel, encounters, encounters a situation where it seems that all possibility of hope is gone. Um, interestingly, um, the text of the, the, the non-paraphrased text in the, um, in the translations I was looking at as I, um, as I was preparing this um, tells us twice that Jesus is weeping. Um, that detail actually didn't make the cut in the paraphrase, which is a whole other topic, um, why that wouldn't have been mentioned. Um, but it is, I cannot begin to express how grateful I am that that detail is included in the, in the biblical text. That Jesus wept. The text tells us that Jesus believes in his own power to raise the dead to life. And soon after, toward the end of the story, we see that Jesus does raise Lazarus from death. 
But in the moment as he approached the tomb, Jesus weeps. His tears don't reflect hopelessness or a lack of faith that God could create a happy ending for the story. Yet Jesus weeps for Lazarus, who suffered and suffered illness and died, believing that he would be healed if Jesus could just get there. For Martha, who continued to believe that Jesus could save her brother from death. For Mary, who confronted him with her deep pain that Jesus was not there when they needed him. Jesus knew that Lazarus would soon live again, yet in the moment, Jesus was present with his, with his friends in their mourning, weeping with them as they wept for the one that they all loved. I think our faith does call us to believe in the possibility of happy endings, in the dream of a world without violence and injustice and suffering, and that those who have died will be raised to enjoy God's world as it's supposed to be. Yet believing in happy endings does not require that we deny the pain and struggle that we currently face as we face it. And in the face of dry bones and sealed tombs, I don't think God is offended or even surprised that we have our doubts. After Ezekiel sees the dry bones raised to life, the Lord commands him to bring this message to the people of Israel. God says, you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil. And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act. I think this message suggests that God sees the reality of the situation, that for people to believe after all this time that the Lord is still on their side, it would require radical, miraculous action, no less than the dead being raised from their graves and the people being made alive by God's spirit. And God doesn't rebuke them for their lack of faith that God will act to save them. God simply says, I get that it will take the dead being raised for you to believe me, but you just wait, because that's exactly what I'll do. The endings of each of these stories reflects the promise that somehow, somewhere, eventually, God will set everything right. But these stories don't hide the reality that the happy endings come after a great deal of pain, after time when it appears that all possibility of hope is lost. Happy endings can still come after we've seen those who we love get sick, suffering, and even dying, despite our hopes and prayers for their healing. Happy endings can still come after we've seen people suffer and die at the hands of systems that oppress them, generation after generation, with few signs of hope that anything might change. The life of Jesus tells us that God is with us as we mourn, that even Jesus' surety that the happy ending was coming did not stop him from weeping with his beloved friends. Even if our faith in God, faith that God will come through to save us, is, even if our faith that God will come through to save us is unwavering, we can't skip to the end of the story. We must experience it all the pain, the injustice, the powerlessness of watching our beloved ones suffer, the mourning of everyone and everything that we've lost. The gospel of Jesus promise, promises that the dead will be raised to new life. But the life of Jesus also tells us 
that through everything we might suffer in the meantime, we do not walk alone and we do not weep alone. And that too is good news. <laughs>